You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. In my lifetime, I expect to see three, four, perhaps even more women on the high court bench. Women not shaped from the same mold, but of different complexions. All right, welcome back, dear listeners, to United States of Women, Season 2, Episode 2. We are in the lovely state of Pennsylvania. Jessica, I'm going to start this episode a little different. Oh, okay. I'm going to read you a story. Ooh. Okay. I'm the story person, though. Okay, let's go. In the autumn of 1777, the American army lay some time at White Marsh. I was then Commissionary General of Prisoners and managed the intelligence of the army. I was renegotiating along the lines near the city of Philadelphia. I dined at a small post at the Rising Sun, about three miles from the city. After dinner, a little poor-looking, insignificant old woman came in and solicited leave to go into the country to buy some flour. While we were asking some questions, she walked up to me and put into my hands a dirty old needle book with various small pockets in it. Surprised at this, I told her to return. She should, have, she should have an answer. On the opening of the needle book, I could not find anything till I got to the last pocket, where I found a piece of paper rolled up into the form of a pipe shank. Okay. Upon unrolling it, I found information that General Howe was coming out the next morning with 5,000 men, 13 pieces of cannon, baggage wagons, and 11 boats on wagon wheels. On comparing this with other information I found true, and immediately rode to the post to hear quarters, to headquarters. According to my usual custom and agreeable orders regarding General Washington, I first related to him the naked facts without comment or opinion. He He regarded it with much thoughtfulness, I then gave him my opinion that General Howe's design was to cross the Delaware under the pretense of going for New York, then in the night to recross the Delaware above Bristol and suddenly come on our rear, when we were totally unguarded and cut off from all our baggage, if not from the whole army. Mm. He heard me without a single observation, being deep in thought. I repeated my observations. He was still silent. Supposing myself unattended to, I earnestly repeated my opinion with urging to him to order a few readabouts thrown near, up near our rear as it was growing late. The general answered me, Mr. Bonneau, the enemy have no business in our rear. The boats are designed to deceive us. Tomorrow, morning by daylight, you will find them coming down such a by-road on our left then calling an aide de camp, ordered a line thrown up along our whole front and at the foothill. As I was quartered on the very by-road with six or eight other officers, a mile in front of our army, and no picket advanced on us. This opinion made a deep impression upon me, though I thought the general under a manifest mistake. I returned to my quarters, first obtaining a picket to be put on that road in advance. Mm. When I got home, the officers were informed of the news, 
and my opinion that we should lose our baggage at least. We took her advice. So, that was the recounting of Lydia Dark conveying the news of General Howe's movements to Elias Bunot when the British were in possession of Philadelphia. Hmm. Okay. So, Lydia Darrow existed. We know for this. We, we know through historical records. Okay. She was born in 1728 in Dublin, Ireland. She was the youngest of six, and she married the family's tutor, William Darrow. Okay. She did not personally have an education as her family could not afford to employ William on her behalf. Only her brothers were employed. They were given an education. Mm-hmm. After marriage, they immigrated to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where William continued to work as a tutor, and Lydia began work as a midwife. Okay. Good work. They had nine children. Four of whom who died in infancy, five whom lived to adulthood. As we discussed earlier, Mm -hmm. Quakers heavily relevant in the colonies in 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 northern part of the country. Uh, They were also Quakers. Okay. Okay. So here is where Lydia's story gets disputed. There are very few records contemporary of her claim to fame. Okay? Okay. Okay? The story I read to you and a couple others, but there's not much. Okay? So it's disputed as to whether or not she actually was a spy for the American Revolution. She was never formally employed... She's not recognized as one of Washington's group of spies. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, in September of 1777, the British occupied Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay. Okay. And they would continue to occupy them for almost a f- full year to 1778. Yeah. At that time, Philadelphia was minuscule of a city. There was a census done at General Howe's request in 1777, Sir William Howe, Mm -hmm. showing that in the city, which was two miles long between the Delaware and the Skulk Hill River, and one mile wide from Vine to Cedar, there was... 5,395 buildings. They counted the buildings. (laughs) And there were 23,734 people, a quarter of whom were men and the preponderance of women and children. Everybody was off to fight a war. Yeah. So. I still feel like 5,000 buildings is a lot for that area, though. (laughs) Right? Like, in my head, I'm like, what? But I guess tiny buildings, maybe. But described, well, so yes, all of the buildings were mostly small with low roofs Mm -hmm. and small windows. This was because it was exceptionally difficult to warm them in the wintertime. Right. (laughs) So we're talking 
Teeny tiny huts. Yeah, teeny tiny houses, even the most stately of mansions, would be considered small by today's standards. Like, really small. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So, General Howe set up his headquarters in the house across the street from Lydia. Okay. And several of his key executive underlings were quartered at Lydia's house. Okay. No quarter. No quarter. Soldiers are not allowed to quarter. So although the Daros are pacifists, because they're Quakers, yeah. their oldest son, Charlie, Charles, left to serve in the 2nd Pennsylvania Regiment for the Continental Army. Okay, so her oldest son is part of the army. Okay. Okay. Because of her location in her house. Yeah. Her house was frequently used for meetings amongst the British generals. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I imagine because they knew they were Quakers and they were pacifists, why would you think it Correct. wouldn't be safe to have meetings? <laughs> so Lydia repeatedly would enter the room when they were having the meeting under the guise of providing food, water, restocking the wood in the fireplace, those kinds of things. And she would eavesdrop. Nobody ever paid attention to a woman. Woman. (laughs) She would then have her husband transcribe the information she overheard into shorthand on little scraps of paper, which she would then hide in cloth buttons of her children's and her coats Mm -hmm. and have them snuck out of the city when they went to go retrieve flour. Brave. So messages were passed through buttons. Okay. Okay. The big claim to fame was Lydia's saving Washington's army from the ambush of White Marsh in December 1777. Mm -hmm. The story was first published in 1827. So that's why there's some question about validity. You've got lack of contemporary knowledge. Okay. Okay? Because we're talking 30 years. On December 2nd, British officers commandeered one of Lydia's rooms for a secret conference. Okay. Lydia had received the request that she and her family leave the house. Okay. They were, they were asked to formally leave months before. However, Lydia objected. Mm-hmm. And so she went to see General Howe herself in his headquarters. Okay. Upon her arrival... Lydia ran into Captain William Barrington of the 7th Regiment of Foot. She noted that he had an Irish accent. Okay. And she noted that Barrington was her maiden name. Okay. Upon further discussion with the captain, she discovered he was her second cousin. Okay. Using this familial connection, she pled her case to the captain to allow her to stay in the house. Okay. She had sent several, she had sent two of her children away. One was in the army, so she Mm. only had one left in her, in the house. Okay. So it was just her, her husband, and one of her children. So, the captain took this to Howe directly Mm -hmm. and got her reprieve. So they could remain in the house, uh-huh. but she would have to basically retire the family early whenever they requested. 
So go to go to bed. Get out of the get out of the room. Go to bed. (laughs) The lady was fine. So, when the call came on December second in seventeen seventy seven that she and her family retire by eight o'clock, Lydia pretended to go to sleep, but instead listened to the soldiers through the door. This is where that conversation about the houses being really small and tight comes into place. There's not a whole lot of empty space. Mm -mm. So she listened through the door. Some stories say that she was hiding in a closet in the room. Okay. But just she eavesdropped. She eavesdropped. And she heard that the British were planning a sneak attack on December 4th at White Marsh, where George Washington was located with his troops. Okay. So, cut off the head of the snake Mm -hmm. is the thought process. Yeah. There were a lot of attempts on George Washington, so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Lydia made the determination not to share this piece of information with her husband. She thought it was too risky to involve anybody else. Yeah. Okay. So instead, she spilled her flower in the street during a skirmish with other women. <laughs> Silly women spilling flour. <laughs> so she then requested permission to leave the city because she had to get permission to leave the city to go to the mill to get flour. To get flour. Yeah. She was granted that permission Mm -hmm. because silly women spilling flour. I know. And we need food, too. Food's (laughs) nice. (laughs) Lydia then left the city, dropped her empty bag of flour, and instead of waiting for the flour, Mm -hmm. ran off to an inn down down the road Mm -hmm. where she ran into... Army major. Our army major. So basically where the story came from, some old lady old lady just came in with a sewing bag and went, here's a sewing bag. You need this sewing bag. I got to go get some flour. <laughs> like, yep. anyway. and, then she, <laughs> and then she left and returned with the flour. Mm-hmm. So I think my favorite is a quote from one of those earlier stories mm-hmm. in which a British officer who questioned Lydia, said, We were betrayed, for on arriving near encampment, the encampment of General Washington, we found his cannon mounted, his troops under arms, and so prepared at every point to receive us that we were compelled to march back without injuring our enemy like a parcel of fools. Never mind. <laughs> just be like, uh, oh, you're not supposed, oh. But I personally just love that they were relaying this to Lydia as if she were part of their side. Like, you would not believe it. You Somebody betrayed somebody us. Somebody betrayed us. <gasps> who could that who be? Who could that be? <laughs> just like, and Lydia's just like, that sucks, man. You guys worked on that plan. <laughs> you thought real hard. <laughs> you thought really, really hard on that plan. Like, geez. And so. the, the, I mean, the British at the time knew George Washington had a ton of spies like she's a woman but she's a woman and that's just it like you wouldn't even and she's a pacifist she's a quaker yeah you know you really wouldn't think about it so that's the interesting part so you you know we hear all these stories about washington's spies and there are so many of them Mm -hmm. um but we just don't end up hearing about them like Mm -hmm. we we don't hear about women 
as spies very often for him. So yeah, not not for him. It's not really till I want to say the Civil War that we where you get a lot of female espionage on both sides of the war, if I remember correctly, too. So correct. Yeah. yeah. So Lydia continued to get information to Washington through her buttons and shorthand done by her husband, which I just, I mean, the reversal of roles there is highly entertaining because he's now playing the secretary. Yeah. <laughs> and she's collecting the information. Because mm-hmm. she, she can hide in the shadows she's, or she can just, you know, do her duties and serve tea at the exact right moment that you need to serve tea. and Exactly. Just so catch that little, little um, blurb. So the, but yes, the only contemporary accounts of Lydia's espionage Mm -hmm. are Bonneau's journal and a small pamphlet produced in Philadelphia after the British have have left. Mm -hmm. But they don't, that pamphlet doesn't name Lydia. Okay. The British intelligence agents actually figured out the bag of flour trick, but not until December 6th, 1777. So they were a couple days late. <laughs> but they didn't know who it was. They just knew. They still couldn't figure out that they it was the freaking out. woman that was. <laughs> they couldn't figure out which woman it was. Like, which, which of these ninnies just. <laughs> which, which of these ninnies did it? So. It's just, is it really worth trying to, like, interview all the women? Because you know all the women. Like, you know most of the women in that town are tired of the British, you know, basically using them as servants and just... Well, like, you know that her (laughs) skirmish with the other women and the dropping the bag of flour was totally totally just among the women. Yeah, (laughs) just go to the market one day and be like, hey, I need to get word out to Washington. And the women would be like... Yes, because that was the one thing with, like, British in the areas that they occupied. It seems like they just assumed the areas they were occupying were loyalists. And you're like, no, like... That's not how this works. (laughs) That's not how it works. Like, just because they're doing what you're requiring them to do, just because they're housing your soldiers because they have no choice, doesn't mean that they're all for you being there. Like, doesn't mean they don't have sons that are dying or, you know, it is women start revolutions. They may not get the credit, but women start revolutions. Pretty consistently. Yes. Pretty consistently. So I think you've once told me that it's women... With sons who are dying and yes. so, not women who aren't able to feed their children and young sons or like yeah. sing, young single men. I think that's what you mentioned starts revolutions, it seems to be like. Yeah, so a lot of particularly modern revolutions, the things that tend to drive revolutions are large groups of unemployed young men. Mm-hmm. There you go. Because they've got nothing better to do. Yeah. And women who cannot feed their families. Yes. I mean, which at this time, because of the tax rate on a lot of foods, because England was upping the tax rate on the colonies because they went pretty much bankrupt. um, And they were like, well, we can't piss off the people here. So let's piss off the people across the pond. They won't do anything. They won't do anything. You know, it was hard to feed your child during these times. So, and 
Yeah. And women are going to be more likely not like I am not. Why do I have to bring you tea? Like I, this is my house. (laughs) Like Get out. And that's why it's one of our amendments on our, you know, that you cannot quarter soldiers. You cannot make a civilian quarter soldiers. Exactly. (laughs) So the British left in June of 1778 and Lydia's children returned to the family home. Okay. Her husband, William, died in 1783. Mm-hmm. And her son, Charles, lost his membership to the Society of Friends. That's the Quaker Society of Friends. On April 27th, 1781. I assume that's because he was in the war. And- I could not find any like records stating specifically that but yes that is my assumption because Lydia also lost her membership on August 29th 1783 and since that was the year that this story is first released that's you lost it because you participated in in a war in a war okay that makes sense. which I mean if bummer you're, bummer but like <laughs> like come on <laughs> yes um however When she died on December 28, 1789, she and Charles were both buried on Quaker's burial ground at 4th and Arch Street, not far from their family home. So they at least got the rights to be buried on... Okay, that's good. So the Quakers were like, we can't have you in the society because you broke the pacifist rules. But like, we understand why you did, so... We'll, we'll let you be buried with current. your religion so you can have the path to... I mean, I don't know a ton about the Quaker religion, but, like, burial rites are pretty... Very important to how your afterlife is going to go for you in any yeah. culture, which... Yeah, so, which is why, like, when you're, you know, an archaeologist and you take out a mummy, like, you have to think, like, it's, as long as that mummy is out of its tomb, like, it's just yeah. hanging out in the bad underworld, like, <laughs> in limbo. Right. So, when I was looking up Lydia Dara, mm-hmm. and I was considering who else to potentially do with her, because it's the American Revolution. Oh, no. I... Almost had us do Margaret Peggy Shippen. No. <laughs> she's, okay, so. She's, I feel like I know her from Drunk History more she, than anything. But the Benedict Arnold, right? She's, correct. she's the one that convinced Benedict Arnold to betray his, betray Washington, right? <laughs> she is Benedict Arnold's wife, who not only convinced him to betray Washington. Yeah. By stoking his discontent with the Continental mm-hmm. Army. But she then played dumb and feigned hysteria when Washington came to arrest her husband, giving him time to flee. And Washington was like, I ain't touching this. I don't know what to do with this. But like Peggy Shippen, I mean, it's it's not just that she, like they were husband. It was her second marriage to Benedict Arnold because I thought she was married to a British officer or something. She was married to a high-standing British something, if I remember correctly. Well, she was from a loyalist family. Okay, um, that might be what it is. But so, I swear she was, like, married to somebody in the mil- in the British military and then 
he died or something and <laughs> like or I, I want to say they had an affair first but I, I could be totally wrong I, I, like I said I, I feel like I'm remembering a drunk history episode <laughs> like, probably don't but, don't quote me that is yeah. a better story though is that <laughs> Benedict Arnold was having an affair and then married her and then and then when she because she convinced him to be a spy basically yeah well like, I mean just so went no I'm hysterical. What I did find was that um, when Benedict Arnold requested her hand in marriage, she he sent a letter to his, her father, who was a judge. Okay. And he almost turned him down because of Arnold's legal problems. He's like, I don't think I want my family touching this with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. And Peggy basically convinced him, like, no, 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 this is going to be good. This will benefit us. I think <laughs> be good. Peggy was one of those, like, like trying to be bigger than who she yeah. was kind of thing. So, but prior to Benedict's um, desertion and treachery, Peggy actually used her position as his wife to smuggle information to Major John Andre and to the British Army. Okay. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. And when Andre was finally caught and hanged was when Benedict Arnold fled because he realized his time was up. That, like, he wouldn't get blamed for his wife. (laughs) (laughs) So Peggy then held them off when they came to, when General Washington came to their home in Philadelphia by feigning hysteria. I don't know what you're accusing him of. As obnoxious as the medical term of female hysteria was, sometimes it has its uses to be. It it really does. So she was the other spy that I considered doing for the American Revolution. But I was like, "Eh, Benedict Arnold is so well known that like, I was like, "Eh, it's too it's definitely one of those where like Benedict Arnold like overshadows the woman that really influenced a lot of it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like but, so for those of you who are looking for even more interesting historical women to look at, give Peggy Shippen Arnold a a look. Mm-hmm. Um but yes, that is so this has been Lydia Dara, the spy who may not have been, because there's so little evidence behind it, but I feel like but there's so little evidence behind just about all of it. Anyway. Yeah. Like, and I feel like it's just the general that, you know, you had the official espionage, like you had the ones where it was like, you go spy here. Like, yeah. What is it? Hercules Mulligan or something. Wasn't he a spy or I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. You like, you have those people and I'm really like, I've, I've watched Hamilton too many times. Like I really should slow down. <laughs> but like you, you have the intentional espionage, but you also had these people that are surrounded by the British that don't like the British, but they're not necessarily part of the war, but they're still doing their part, part. that they can do. And it's definitely one of those, like I, you know, my son is fighting in a war that the British could possibly kill him in. Like if I was a mother back then I would be, a spy as much as I could like well or you may be potentially do you may potentially do what our next week's woman may do Ooh, okay okay that too. yeah you had a couple lines of of ability to to get yeah. involved as a woman even if you didn't have many rights yeah well sometimes 
I'm going to hate saying this, but sometimes not having rights means you can be a shadow. So Sometimes. Sometimes. Citations for this week's episode. Uh, Wikipedia, uh, of course, because I always end up going there for something. And then a publication of the Society of History or the, sorry, publication of the City History Society of Philadelphia, uh, their publication number 13, written by Moyer and Loder, or published by Moyer and Loder, written by Henry Dark, not of relation to Lydia Dara. They're close names, but not quite. Um, and this yeah. was published November 10th, 1915. It's titled Lydia Dara, One of the Heroines of the Revolution, um, which was an excellent read. It is long. It's about 28 pages, um, but it's an excellent read. And the Frankfurt Chronicles, uh, the article titled Agent Lydia Dara, Intelligence Operative. Ooh. It was fun. Bold. Love it. Right? Um, And it's got some really good maps and graphics in it. Uh, So it was was a pretty awesome find. Uh, So those are three of the the major pieces. And then I pulled off of um, Google for the, through the journal or historical recollections Mm -hmm. of American events during the Revolutionary War to find the the Boudinot journal which was our opening storyline okay that's cool i like that story right it was very nice quick quick question because timelines really really bad on me but when did washington cross the delaware for his surprise attack is it before this or after this after this okay because I was wondering, like, like, when you kept on saying stole. they were going to cross the Delaware, <laughs> right? I was like, who stole this idea? Now, granted, Washington definitely did it on a better, because he crossed the Delaware the night of Christmas Eve, right? Yeah. And then to attack early morning Christmas Day. Yeah. Because nobody oh, should. Oh, no, he did, this, he did it before. They stole it. They tried they, to steal it. That's his. what I was saying. I was like, I feel like they stole it. Like, um, we're going to get Washington. <laughs> like, I was like, we're going to get him back. Wait, he, he crossed it under the guise of darkness. We're going to double cross it. We're going to double cross it. He'll <laughs> never see it coming. Just, like, to be fair, at the time, like, you, you did have to cross a lot of rivers. Like, yeah. No, the, this is fair. Like, it was just basically, like, between Philadelphia and New York. We're just going to, like, swat at each other across the Delaware River. Um, but, yes. So, that is the story of Lydia Dara. Um, until next time, Jessica, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter as J.M. Bailey Writes. And you can find me with the rest of Geek Elite Media at geekelitemedia.com, our Facebook page, forward slash Geek Elite Media. Archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts can be found on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us mm-hmm. uh, so other people can find us on your podcatcher. And if you're interested in supporting us for all the fun research and things, including my collection of coffee mugs for Geek Elite Media. Books like for the, women. The nineteenth Amendment celebratory mug that Jessica's using because I felt like Geekly Media needed these mugs and they were like five dollars. <laughs> um, nice mugs, but mugs. mostly our Patreon page is to help support us get new technologies, new research for all of our various podcasts, um, and 
you know, try and get us all together so we can give you more content. Yes. Um, but feel free to join our Patreon page. There are a bunch of great exclusives, mm-hmm. extra episodes of this podcast, other fun things and gifts to our Patreons. So until next time, this is the United States of Women saying always remember to geek, geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast. Beep.